Hello, and welcome to today's edition of Tabernacle Today, a podcast maintained by The Tabernacle located in Danville, Virginia. Additional information about The Tabernacle can be found at our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. Our prayer is that you will be blessed by the Word of God today. Turn in your Bibles for another edition of Tabernacle Today. Good morning. You don't often see my face up here except maybe to lead songs every now and then, but today you get, whether you consider it a treat or not, is up to you. (laughs) Uh, We're going to be reading and studying in the book of Romans, the Paul's epistle to the Romans. So if you would take your Bible and you would turn to Romans chapter 5, we are going to be, I, I told a few people this is like when Isaac used to preach. Isaac would have a passage of Scripture, and if he didn't finish, he would just go on the next time he got to preach, and he would, he would go from the, the next part of the passage. Well, we're not in exactly the same passage, but I did get to preach about two and a half years ago. It was March of 2020, and um, the, the thing that, that reminds me of it, it was the last Sunday night worship service we had. <laughs> Because COVID hit the very next week and we went to no services for a while and then outdoor services for a while. And then we restructured all the, the way the church worked. And so if my memory is correct, that was the last time we had a Sunday night worship service like we used to. But um, I didn't take it personal. And if something drastic happens tomorrow, you'll know that it's not my fault again, okay? <laughs> Anyway, Romans chapter 5, we're going to be reading verses 12 through 21, and I would invite you to do something that we don't always do, and that's to stand as we read God's Word. It's, not, it's only 10 verses, so it won't take long. Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, finishing in 21. If you don't have your Bible, it is on the screen so you can see it. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. That's my personal Bible, and that's what I'm reading from. It says, Therefore... Just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, the judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then, as, though, as through one transgression, there resulted condemnation to all men. Even so, through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life. To all men. For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. The law came, and so that the transgression would increase, but where sin increased, 
grace abounded all the more. And so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would bless not only the reading of your word which has just taken place, but that you would use these sinful lips, Lord. I pray you would touch them and use me, Lord, your word going out, not, not so that one man could speak it, but that we could receive it and understand it and respond to it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, when I was in college, if any of you uh, attended college, you may remember that the way college works is when you take a class, you start with the 101 or the 100 level courses. Usually, um, I remember when I was in, in college, I took Music Theory 101, and it taught this country boy the basics of music theory, how notes work, how chords work, how music is written. We had to do different stuff. and then. When I passed that, I took Music Theory 201 and I actually hit a brick wall because this country boy didn't know that much about music and I actually had to retake Music Theory 201 because I didn't pass it. You had to have a C or better if you were a music major and I had a D, which meant dumb because I had to pay for a second time taking the same exact class over again and so I learned my lesson and I buckled down and finally I passed Music Theory 201 and I went on to pass Music Theory 301 and so on and so forth. Well, we're going to be, uh, the title of the sermon today is, is Sin 201, but I want to just remind you, so basically if you took a 100 level course, that was a prerequisite for a 200. I mean, you had to take one to take the next and then a 200 was a prerequisite for 300. I'm explaining that because the name of the sermon, it'll make sense in a minute. You had to take them in order, 101, 201, 301, and you couldn't, you couldn't skip. I have kids at my school, they'll say, Mr. Martin, uh, we're playing recorder, and what's the first ribbon? White. What's the last ribbon? Black. Well, if I learned the black ribbon song, can I just go ahead and get my black ribbon? And I always say, no. You have to go white, yellow, orange. I've got it memorized. White, orange, yellow, green, purple, red, blue, brown, and then black. And in the same way, 100, 200, 300, you had to pass the lower levels because you couldn't get the higher levels unless you passed the lower. So, we're going to actually take just a couple of minutes and we're going to review what we went over two and a half years ago. If you were here that night, if you weren't, you can go online. Uh, you're going to hear just the roughest outline of what we learned two and a half years ago, March 8th. 2020. I've looked at it. It's available on the church's website. I actually went back and listened to myself and I said, boy, I sound country. But anyway, um, I don't know if I can talk a little more dignified this time, but we'll see. But anyway, if you didn't hear that message, it was called Sin 101. And we were in Genesis chapter 3, which is the very first sin, the original sin. And we were looking at it what happened to Adam and Eve and what happened with the serpent and what did God do? And, and so now we're going to go on in just a couple of minutes to sin 201 in Romans chapter 5 that we just read. But let's go real quick. I, I, I liken this to if you, have you ever stood at a pond with a rock and you skipped it across the pond or the river or the, or the lake? You know, it goes a little distance and it finally drops in. Well, we're going to skip just the lightest skimming over what the points of that, that message was uh, two and a half years ago. 
So let's just go ahead and get into it. So in Sin 101, it was called the original sin because it was the original sin. And real quickly, there were three deadly deceptions that were listed there in verses 1 through 5. Uh, Satan, the serpent, he deceived Eve first through God's words. He questioned God's words. He said, what, has, God, has God said this thing to you? And then she recounted what God uh, had told them they could not do. And then second, the serpent deceived Eve by he questioned God's motives. He claimed to know what God was thinking when God told them not to do that. He said, well, God knows that when you eat of it, this and this and this is going to happen. Well, that's very presumptive of a, of a serpent to know what God Almighty is thinking. And yet that's what he did. He told Eve that he basically knew. And then he also deceived Eve by questioning God's sovereignty. He literally said, if you eat the fruit of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will be like God, knowing good from evil. So he basically was saying, why do you need God if you could just eat from this tree? God doesn't have to be the one to tell you good from evil. You can know good and evil yourself. Just eat the fruit and you'll know. Well, we saw in verse 6 that there were three tantalizing temptations that she went through. It said, first, she was tempted through the lust of the flesh. We've heard this list before, haven't we? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. They fall right here. First, she saw that the fruit was good for food, so the lust of the flesh. Second, she was tempted through the lust of the eyes. She saw that it was pleasing to the eye. Looked really good. And third, she was tempted through the boastful pride of life. It says that she saw that it was desirable for gaining wisdom. Remember, Satan had said, you eat it. It's called the knowledge of the, tr the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You'll get that knowledge. And she's like, wow, it's got wisdom. I could get wisdom through that. So a question that we talked about back then was, why do you think the serpent chose her and not Adam? Why didn't he just go to Adam and deceive him? Well, I came up with a couple of reasons whether you agree with them or not. I think, they're, I think they're there. One, she didn't actually get the commandment directly from God. When God gave the commandment in Genesis chapter 2, He gave it to Adam. And Eve hadn't been created yet. If you're just reading the text, you know, from one verse to the next to the next. Eve was created after that and it's logical that Adam probably told her what she was supposed to not do. And then the other thing was that she was actually Adam's helper. You know, God said, I'll give a, a helper suitable to Adam. And the, and the Greek word, Azer, uh, if you look the word Azer up, actually I guess that would be Hebrew, the Old Testament, the, the word Azer means a helper, but it also means one who can counsel and advise. And so the serpent went to somebody who got the information secondhand, but then he also went to somebody who could influence Adam who was, you know, Adam would actually maybe trust what she said. Believe it because she was his helper, his advisor. And so we see in verse 6 that she took some fruit, she ate it. She gave some to Adam and he ate it. As simple as that. And then in verse 7 through 13 we see there were three immediate implications. These were things that happened immediately. As soon as they ate the fruit, things changed. God hadn't even shown up and pronounced any judgment on them, but three things already happened. First, there was shame. They hid from God. They had never done that before in their short lives. Second, there was blame. As soon as God questioned them, they turned towards each other. It's like that famous emoji or whatever of, of the three Spider-Men pointing at each other. I'm sure a lot of you younger ones have probably seen that. That meme, Spider-Man is pointing at every... Yeah, 
They were pointing at each other, except the serpent didn't have a finger. So uh, he, he uh, uh, way I said it back then was God said, snake, serpent, what did you do? And, and he just could shrug his shoulders because that was all he could do. So they blame each other. And then the third one was maim. Actually, they, they hurt creation. They, they tore off fig leaves. And so they actually, instead of caring for the garden and caring for the trees, they're ripping things off of them just to hide their nakedness from God. So anyway, there were immediate implications. And then fourth, there were three permanent punishments. God punished all three of these characters. He, and the punishment fit the crime. The punishment was tailor-made. I don't know if any of you as parents, if your kids misbehave, if they're arguing or something, you don't give them the same punishment. If you, if you finally bring your judgment down from on high, mom, dad, we're gonna, this is the way it's going to be. You're going to do this and you're going to do that. Well, that's the way it was. God punished them um, exactly the right way for their sin. And there were two parts to each punishment. First, there was a punishment for their role, what they were made to do. The serpent, what he was made to do, his role. Eve, her purpose, what she was made to do, her role. Adam, what his, made, his purpose was, his role. And then second, there was a, a second punishment. And it was about their relationship to the person they had sinned against. So first, the serpent sinned against the woman and so the, sin, the woman sinned against the man and the man sinned against God. That's how it seems to work out. And so God punishes the serpent. He says, at first he, punish, he punishes the serpent in his role as a created thing. And he says, okay, you're going to crawl on your belly for the rest of time. That's your, pun, that's your first punishment as your role as a created thing. And second, your relationship to Eve, the one you wronged by deceiving her and misleading her. So now you're going to be punished because your your legacy, you, you misled her, and so you have done this to her. She, her, her, um, her descendant is going to crush your head. You might bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. We'll get back to that in a minute, that promise of that descendant and who that is. Second, the woman was punished by God because she had sinned against Adam. She had used her role as his, as his confidant, as his advisor, as his helper to actually help him to sin. She gave him the fruit and he sinned. And Adam, you know, God didn't dispute when, when Eve said, well, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And then God turned to Adam and Adam said, well, the woman gave me the fruit and I ate. And God never said, you're wrong. God just said, okay, that happened. Now here's your punishment. Guess what? You're still guilty. So uh, in Eve's punishment, there were two. One, her role was mother. God said, you're going to have more pain in childbirth. And anybody that's given birth knows that's true. Amen. And any husband that's been there when a baby's delivered, we were told by our first uh, doctor that what we should say when we got to the hospital in Louisville was epidural private room. Those were the three words we were supposed to say to kind of counteract the curse of, of pain in childbirth. Anyway, that's true. That's really true. Ask Rosemary. She'll, she'll tell you. Then uh, her, her relationship with her husband, with Adam, she was punished. God said, hey... You, your desire will be for your husband. And if you actually look at the, at the Hebrew words, the, the word your desire, actually it's almost got the idea of a ship or, or something with a steering mechanism. It's like you will want to steer your husband. You will want to from now on. Your desire will be to con almost like to control him. It'll be for your husband, but it'll be to, to, to manage him. And, but then he'll rule over you. And that's why... Don't we have so many conflicts in our marriages today, Christian and non-Christian, because we've got people who are kind of almost fighting over who's going to control 
And anyway, uh, and, and in the time of sin, uh, God's idea for marriage is different, both submitting to one another in love. But that's the way it was then. And then finally we have man punished for his sin against the Creator. It said, first in his role as caretaker, cursed is the ground for your sake. Cursed is the ground. Now you're going to have to work harder. The serpent was punished with it being a harder way to exist. You're going to crawl on your belly. Eve was punished. You're going to have pain in your childbirth. Adam, you're punished. You're going to have pain as you try to take care of this creation that, that you've been given the role to caretake. And anybody that's worked a garden knows that's true. Amen? You get a lot of sweat working your garden. I tell people my garden grows rocks. It does. Lots and lots of rocks. Anyway, <clears throat> so... The second thing he cursed Adam with was his sin again in his relationship. And he basically said, you are kicked out of the garden. You were with me. You could talk to me anytime. You had fellowship with me that was like nothing else. You could actually look at me and talk to me. God said, now you're gone. You're gone. Adam, you're gone. You're out of here. The one thing that, that above all else was your relationship with me. Now it's been destroyed. And so they kicked him out. So... Three last things we learned. Sin's essence was disobedience. Anytime somebody sins, if you look at the root of it, it is disobedience to God. That's what it is. I look at my own sin, what it comes down to. God said don't do something, and I did it. God said do something, and I didn't do it. No excuses. If I get rid of all the stuff, all the layers of me explaining away my sin... It's still disobedient. Second, sin's end is death. God told Adam that they would die. They eventually did die. But they also died a spiritual death because their connection with God was, was broken. And sin's ex extent is it affects everybody and it affects everything. And what I like to think, uh, I said sin is like, and I put a blank, kudzu. If you've ever dealt with kudzu, I just drive around Pennsylvania County and you can see kudzu everywhere. It's all over trees. It's all over fences. If a person doesn't cut it back, it just keeps growing, growing, growing. Sin is like that. If you don't handle it, it will take over. So now, we're going back to Romans chapter 5, and I'll try and speed up. When we have problems where we're running out of time in music, I just jokingly tell the orchestra, okay, we'll play every other note. So if you want me to read every other word, we can do that, but you may not get as much out of it. All right, real quick, we are looking at sin 201. We're looking at God's answer to the original sin. That's why this message follows the other one. And that's why for about two years I've had this sermon working on it, because I knew that this was the next place that God was leading me to go to preach on the, the, the subject of sin. Now, there's lots of other passages that deal with sin, but this is a great one and a difficult one because it, it's kind of a lot up here. But there are some, a lot of words that are used frequently in here in Romans chapter 5, 12 through 21, some frequently used words. I just want to point them out. You'll see the word one 13 times, all four times. 
sin ten times, rain five times, offense seven times, the, the expression much more, you'll see it used three times, the word gift used six times, the word death used five times, and the word grace used five times. And, what, and, I, and I color code them in the passage so you can see how much they're used, at, le- at least in the NASB. Yours may be slightly different. My, uh, the, the one that made me chuckle when I looked up the Greek words, uh, and I'm not going to read them all because it would just prove to you that I could speak Greek and that's not important right now. The point though is, the, the one I thought was funny was the word death. For those of you who, who watch movies, guess what the Greek word for death is? Thanatos, or almost Thanos. And I thought that was kind of, nobody's laughing. I thought that was funny that a Marvel character, either they did their homework or they just thought it sounded fun, cool, but the name Thanos means death in Greek. Thanatos, anyway, we'll go on. Um, so, there are only two points to this message today. So when you look at your clock, you go, oh, go, go, good, two points. He'll be done in five minutes. Not exactly. But anyway, I'll go as quick as, as the Lord can help me go. Uh, the first main point in Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, when you look at 12 through 14, the point is one man's failure brought mankind's fall. One man's failure brought mankind's fall. The first Adam. We're going to read about him, and conveniently, his name is Adam. So, hey, how that works. So, in verse 12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin was not charged, or there's another Greek word that's only used once, elegeo, which means imputed against anyone's account. The idea is it's, it's like... A, a, an amount of something is transferred from one account to another. But sin is not charged or, or imputed against anyone's account where there is no law. There, nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as, Adam, as did Adam, who is a pattern or type of the one to come. So the first big word, again, these are kind of hard words, but hopefully you'll understand. Adam is, he represents the entire human race now. Another word for it that, that theologians use is he's the federal head. He's like, if you wanted to put a stamp on humanity, it would be Adam's face on the humanity dollar bill. Okay, there's Adam. He is our representative. He is, he's our federal head. It, it, the, the fall of everybody was brought about through the fall of one. Adam did it. Um, all for one. That's a, what, a, a three musketeers expression, all for one. Don't worry, I'll use the other one in a minute. Uh, one for all, but all for one. Everybody was punished for the sin of Adam. In, tw- in 12, it says sin entered the world through one man. It says death came through sin. Death came to all people. Everybody sinned. In 14, it says nevertheless death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Even over those who didn't sin. We'll get back to 13 in just a minute. I skipped it on purpose. So nobody escaped, nobody escapes from Adam's sin. Everybody. Look around you, everybody in this room, affected by Adam's sin. I um, found another pastor who phrased it this way, I liked it. He said, sin entered, death entered, death spread, and death reigned. You can get those four statements, uh, those four expressions out of that. Sin entered, death entered, death spread, 
death reigned. And then we see there that he says uh, in verse 14, from Adam to the time of Moses. And the reason he brings up Moses is because this is the first time that God gives a written law. The Ten Commandments. And, and they're, they're uh, going to be on the screen. I'll, I'll read them real quick as they're written. Um, it's in Exodus 20 if you want to go back and look at it. Have no other gods before me. The first of the commandments. Second, have no graven images made. Third, don't misuse the Lord's name. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Four, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Five, honor thy father and thy mother. Six, don't murder. Seven, don't commit adultery. Eight, don't steal. Nine, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. And ten, don't covet what is not yours. And so we had the Ten Commandments given. And so all it did was put into written law what God said about humans. What you can do and what you can't do. And guess what? We blew it. We blew it. In Romans uh, 7, there's a passage that talks where Paul, talking in Romans 7, says, is the law sinful? Well, no, of course not. The law just showed us what we did was wrong. The, the law in itself is not bad. It actually was given for a good reason. Uh, sinful nature is, is sinful. And then in 1 John 1, 8, he says uh, there, um, John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So everybody has sin. If you're in here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, you've got a lot of sin. Your whole life you've been sinning and it has been adding up, adding up, adding up. So we go on. We'll eventually deal with how do we take care of that because that's a problem. So we have inherited Adam's sinful nature and that's a bad thing. And the point of the law, I think I may have already said this, but the point of the law was it showed that it wasn't enough. You couldn't obey all the law. There was other law added to in the Old Testament. And you may say, well, hey, why am I being blamed for what Adam did? Why am I on the hook for Adam's sin? That's a good question. Well, how about this? How about what comes later? If Adam didn't represent you, then what's to come that Adam was a type of the one to come, that wouldn't represent you either. So as I studied it, I would rather have Adam. Yes, it affected me what Adam did, but praise the Lord, what's going to happen undoes what Adam did. And because it undoes what Adam did, it undoes what was done to me. And we're going to, we're going to see that. So anyway, in verse 14, it says that Adam was the pattern of the one to come. Uh, it says there... Oh, I just skipped something. I apologize. I told you I'd talk about 13. 13 is one of these interesting verses. It says, let me read it one more time. It says, to be sure, it's, it's in parenthesis too. That's the interesting thing. So Paul is saying all this stuff about sin and death and everybody being affected by sin. And then in 13 he says, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged or imputed against anyone's account where there is no law. So what Paul seems to be saying is there was this time period. We talk about, you know, uh, Abraham uh, earlier in, in, in Romans. Paul says that Abraham was justi justified by his faith. Well, there was no Ten Commandments when Abraham was alive. There was this whole time period of people who, 
who were alive, maybe they didn't know. Well, also, um, Rome, uh, Paul talks in Romans 1, 18-20 that there is this other thing that everybody's without excuse because everybody could know who God is, even if just through creation. But let's go back because I, I, I like to look at this passage as referring to the age of accountability. We have kids. Those of you who have kids, when your kids were babies, we all learned and taught that that child, if that child were to pass away as an infant, would go to heaven and be with God. Because that child may have been affected by Adam's original sin, but that child, until they know right from wrong, they're not affected by the sinful nature that comes, that once we're older. And, you know, did your child, I know one of my children, the first word out of their mouth that they could say was no. No? I'm your parent. I love you deeply. You're going to do this. No. Kids, once they know right from wrong, they are accountable for their right and wrong. But before that, they are not. And so hopefully that will encourage you, encourage me, because I've always heard that. But when I read that, I thought, wow, that seems to apply. We had a couple of miscarriages years ago. And my hope was, and my faith was, those children went directly to be with Jesus and I'll see them someday. We will see them someday and be reunited with them, believing that they, you know, created in the image of God, that they, even though they didn't make it to be born, that they are there, you know, waiting for us. Well, let's keep going because we need, we really need to move on. Or you're really going to get angry at me. Pattern. In verse 14, it says that Adam was the pattern of the one to come. And that we're referring to, guess who? Jesus Christ. Amen? Adam was a pattern of Christ. The the word pattern is the word tupas, which doesn't matter. uh, Except that it has the image of... Back then they did not have a typing machine, but if you think of a typewriter, the, the character on the typewriter is made to look exactly like the letter that it represents. And then when you type it, you get an exact copy of it. In this way, Adam is a pattern of the one who would come. Christ is, here's here's the way I think about it. It's not on the screen. It's not even on your notes. I just thought of this in the last day, so I didn't send it to... I didn't send it to Ronnie or or put it in the bulletin. One man, think about Adam. One man, one sin, one wrong choice that he did that opened up the door for corruption. Everybody's corrupted. One man, one sacrifice in thinking of Christ... One right choice that opened the door to salvation. So in that way, they're compared. And so uh, we're going to go on. We see uh, a few things about Adam, thinking of Adam as as the type uh, of of Christ being the, the type or the pattern from Adam. One was he was the son of man. In Daniel chapter 7 and in Matthew chapter 26, in, in Daniel, Daniel saw a vision. It said, before me was one like the Son of Man coming. He was approached by the Ancient of Days. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. That's Jesus. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus said, from now on you'll see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming in the clouds of heaven. So His divinity... Is, is spoken of. His humanity. John writes in John 1, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. His humility is written about by Paul in Philippians 2, who, bear, who being in very nature God, 
humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus is the answer to Adam's sin. And so the second point in verse 15 through 21, one man's fix brought mankind's, bought mankind's favor. One man's fix bought mankind's favor. And so we're looking at the second Adam who is Jesus Christ, Jesus the Christ, the anointed one. And so if you look on your screen or if you look back in your Bibles at verse 15, we've got the longer part of the passage. It says, but the free gift is not like the offense. Another word for it is trespass. For if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came through the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came through many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, in verse 18, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even... So through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Christ fixed it Amen. for everyone. Now I do have a little asterisk on that because just because He fixed it doesn't mean everybody gets the fix. And we'll go to that in a little bit. You probably know that already if you're a believer. You know why some people that you know and love and cherish have turned away from Christ or never have turned to Christ. And you say, but, but it's there. There's, there's the gift. There's the fix. Take it. And some people still say, no. No, thank you. I don't think I will. Anyway, Adam and Christ compared. Both of them are now federal heads. We talked about that. Christ, uh, Adam represented us. Now Christ can represent us. Both were from the one to the many. Both of them represent an entire group of people. So Adam represents everybody that ever lived. Adam, I'm sorry, Christ represents the answer, the fix for anyone that will believe. Oh, spoiler alert, I just said it. Anyway, in verse, 15, in verse 14, again, it talks about the pattern, and that's the comparison. Adam and Christ contrasted, verse 15 through 19. Uh, Adam, uh, Paul says, this is not like this. He uses that, analog- that, that contrast a couple of times. And I, I told him, uh, Rosemary probably remembers this too, maybe if you took speech class, maybe your speech professor said this. It said, uh, our speech professor said, you tell them what you're going to tell them, then you tell them, and then you tell them what you told them. Because uh, Paul is going to sound so repetitive and you're going to go, why, did, why can't the guy just move on? He just keeps saying the same thing almost over and over again. Well, he does make subtle changes to what he's saying, but let me see if I can summarize it. First, he says the gift is not like the offense. Then he says the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. So he's talking about the gift is so much more than the offense. And the gift is, is so much 
is, is not like the thing that came through Adam. And, and so you might ask yourself, and I ask myself, I said, it keeps talking about gift. It, it says the word grace, but then later it says the, the gift. Uh, where is it? Uh, here, it's back in verse 15. Uh, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And it's like, what is this gift? It's not the grace, it's something else. And so what I found out, and if you get to verse 17, it says, what is the gift? It says in verse 17, it says, the gift of righteousness. Near the end of 17, it says, For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who received abundant grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Guess what? You don't have righteousness. Is that a surprise to you? It, it is not a surprise to me. I would try and I would try to act righteously even as a believer and I can't do it. I sin. But guess what? We have a gift. Not only did God settle our account with Adam's sin, but Christ, because of what He did on earth, gives us a gift on top of that, which is His righteous life. No sin imputed to us. So we get to count it as a life of no sin in front of God. It is amen. Um, not our righteousness, but Christ's. <sighs> amen. Um, almost lost my place there. It's so good, it's so good news. But finishing up, hopefully. He talks about the, the he just keeps talking about how there's, there's judgment, there's sin, there's death. But when you look at Jesus, what Jesus did, there's righteousness, there's uh, um, resurrection from the dead, there's forgiveness of sin, and there's righteousness counted to us. Now, I had Ronnie put this on the screen. One way of comparing and contrasting... Uh, oh, oh, wait. I think I put a, a fill-in-the-blank... There it says, uh, one man, uh, the one in my notes, the gift of one act resulted from the obedience of one man after many offenses resulted in justification. That's the big word, justification. Uh, you may have heard this. I used to hear it. It's the word justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Our sin is taken away by Christ. And we know that was God's plan because Jesus even asked him in Matthew 26, He said, My Father, he's in, the garden, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. So God even confirmed it through not giving Jesus an out, not giving Jesus an alternative, that it was the way. So if we look at it, you have offense brought disobedience, grace brought obedience, Offense brought condemnation. Grace brought justification. Offense brought eternal death. Grace brings eternal life. Slavery is brought by the Adam's offense. Reigning in victory is brought about by Jesus, the grace of God and Jesus' gift. Failure through Adam, but victory through Christ. So that big word we saw earlier, imputation, is a theological word that means, let's say if you and I were at the bank and I was broke and you said, I will give you 
$10,000, whatever amount, 10000 whatever. And so you literally took 10000 out of your account and put it on my account. That is what imputation means. It means to take something from one and charge it or put it on the account of somebody else. And so when we see sin was imputed from Adam to us, we can't help it. Adam just, it went from his account to yours. When you were born, guess what? There it is. Adam's sin. Two, sin was imputed from us to Christ. Christ is our sacrifice. Three, righteousness is imputed from God onto us because of what Jesus did. And then four, just a little bit extra, there's forgiveness and eternal life given to us, um, the ability not to sin. That's called um, sanctification as we grow more, more and more like Christ. And also, He's given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us as a down payment on what's to come. All of this is given by God. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. We can't deserve it. It's, it's ours. But we have to do something to get it. And we'll get to that in just a minute. So real quick, I've got on the screen the sacrificial system. In Genesis 3, God took two animals apparently and took skins from them to clothe Adam and Eve. Exodus 12, the first Passover, God told Moses that each family was to take one sacrifice for the family. Leviticus 16, now you have the law, one animal sacrifice for the whole nation. So we've gone from one animal for one person, one animal for one family, one animal for one nation. And then what did John say in John 1? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. Christ is the only one that could do that. He did it for you. He did it for me. He does it for everybody who believes. 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, God made Him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. And I cannot read this to you because I see the time. I encourage you though to write this in your notes. If you'll go to Isaiah 53, you will see the most powerful Scripture about what Jesus did about he was despised and rejected. You, you can probably fill in some of the blanks from there, but that's Isaiah 53. I was going to read it, but I'll just tell you to read it um, on your own. Just a great, just what Christ did for us. All right, so we're about to finish. In 20 and 21, we're just about to wrap up. Let me read that just slightly one more time. 20, moreover, the law entered the, that the offense, the offense may abound. Where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. That's what I want to focus on. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's saying one last time, guess what? All the bad stuff you've ever done is overwhelmed by the grace of God through Jesus Christ. Covered over. Charles Haddon Spurgeon once said that, that this particular part of the passage, he called it grace abounding over abounding sin. So sin was abounding. There was no way you could get to the top of it. There was no way you could get victory over it. But because of God's grace, it wipes it out. It overflows it. it, it it's like if you had a, 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 a dam that was built that had all your, that, that, that was tall, 
and your sin was on one side, God's grace washes over the top. There's no, it's not even close. There's a flood over top of it. Well, you see some passages there. John 3.16, you know that one, I'm sure. John 8, Romans 10, 1 John 1, all of these talk about what God says. John 3.16, God so loves the world. John 8.34, who commits sin is a slave, but if the Son makes you free, you are free indeed. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. 1 John 1, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous or just so that He will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So there is an asterisk beside the word that Christ paid the sin for everyone. It's a choice. If you've received His grace and you've accepted it, if you, as the Scripture there said, if you have confessed with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that raised Him from the dead, God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you've done that, then the work's already been done. Isn't that something to be thankful for on Thanksgiving weekend? i tell you what, I was about to shout, but then everybody in the house said, Whoa, what's wrong with you? They really would, because I don't usually shout that much. Um, But praise the Lord. Thank you for joining us for today's edition of Tabernacle Today. To learn more about the Tabernacle, please visit our website at www.thetabernaclefamily.org. There you may access additional Tabernacle Today podcasts, as well as other resources. If you don't have a church home or happen to be visiting the area, we'd love to welcome you to one of our weekly services. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to seeing you back for another edition of Tabernacle Today.